morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship together at Faith Community United Methodist Church on this fine October morning. It's good to see you uh, in worship this morning, and uh, greetings to those worshiping with us online as well. We are glad that you have chosen to join us for this time of worship. I'd invite all of you here to find the attendance pads that are in the pews and fill those out, pass them along to those worshiping beside you this morning. Uh, notice also that you have this uh, insert in your bulletin for the ham loaf sale uh, that is coming up very soon for our mission committee, and uh, you just have another about a week and a half to get this order form in. This is not just an order form, though. This is also a volunteer form because there are a lot of ways that you can volunteer to help out with this ham loaf sale. So make sure you take a look at that, fill it out, get it turned in in the next week and a half so that you can help and so that you can get your ham loaves ordered uh, for raising money for our mission projects. And now uh, I invite you to uh, turn your hearts to worship as the choir presents the music of the introit. Please rise as you are able for today's call to worship. God is gathering us from many different places. No one is worthy, but all are invited. We are delivered from our fears and saved from trouble. Happy are those who take refuge in a loving God. Taste and see how good God is. Trust in the one who awakens joy in place of tears. We will bless our God in all times and places. Let us exalt God's name together. And let us do that in our opening hymn. You'll remain standing for O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing.
And you may be seated. And please join me in our opening prayer that is also printed in your bulletin. Amazing God, whose claims on us are as old as creation and as new as this very moment, help us to hear you calling us, not alone that we may be healed, but that we might become instruments of healing in a hurting world. Restore to us that sight that is beyond seeing, so your church may respond with joy to the great high priest, in whose name we pray and carry out our ministry. Amen. And next is our prayer hymn, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, and we are going to be singing verses 1, 2, and 3. You can stay seated.
gentle Savior, we plead with you, please do not pass me by. We know, Lord, that you would not pass us by, that you love each one of us here just as you love all of your children, that you have come for each one of us. We thank you, Lord. But we cry out to you in our need, pleading with you because we know that our need runs so deep. So many times we have been told that we are broken, that we are unworthy. We know that, Lord. We know we are unworthy of you. Yet we need to be reminded that you come to us anyway, that you call to us anyway, that you love us anyway, that you lift us up that you heal us, that you restore us. Thank you, Lord, for your great love that is beyond our understanding. And so because of that great love, we are able to come before you to present our petitions, to cry out to you for others that we know are in need this day. And so in this time of silence, Lord, hear us as we lift up to you those whom we know are in great need right now. We thank you for hearing us, Lord. We thank you for being with us, not just in this time of worship, but in each moment of our lives, even those times when we have forgotten your presence, you were there. And so turn us back to you now. Forgive us for all that we have done wrong and empower us by your Holy Spirit so that we might live lives that are a reflection of your glory that others might see the truth of the gospel, the truth of your amazing love for us in Jesus Christ through the way that we live, how we treat one another. Make us truly be your holy people, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name as we offer to you now the prayer that he teaches us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite the ushers to come forward to receive the plates as we offer ourselves to God through the giving of our tithes and our offerings.
please join me in the prayer of dedication. Hear our prayer for all who may be helped by what we give. We offer more than money, we offer ourselves. May the sympathy and comfort we share with people in need serve to draw them closer to you. Keep us strong that this church may give radiant witness to truth, constructive opposition to evil, and merciful redemption to those caught up in the wickedness of our times. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel lesson today is from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Our gospel reading for this week brings us to the story of a man who, through our tradition, has been known as Blind Bartimaeus. Blind is not his name. It's not even his condition at the end of the story. It's certainly not his condition throughout eternity. Yet that is how he is eternally known, Blind Bartimaeus. The name that he's given in Mark is simply Bartimaeus. The same story is told in Matthew and Luke, but with some minor variations. In Luke, this incident takes place on the way into Jericho. In Matthew and Mark, Jesus and his disciples are on their way out of Jericho. In Matthew, there are two blind beggars rather than the one that we find in Mark and Luke. Neither Matthew nor Luke give us the name of the blind man or men. Mark, however, considers this man so important that he names him twice. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. In case you didn't know, that is redundant. The the prefix bar means son of. So the name Bartimaeus literally means son of Timaeus. Introducing the man as Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, would be like introducing someone to me as Anderson, son of Ander. To which I might reply, that's cool, who is Ander? I'm not sure why Mark emphasizes this man's name in this way. Maybe Mark's audience had some knowledge of who Timaeus was. If so, that identity has been lost to history. Perhaps it's the meaning of the name which has some significance. Timaeus is a Greek name meaning honored, highly valued. Bartimaeus, then, is the son of honor, the son of a man of high esteem, But here he is, a blind beggar, sitting beside the road day in and day out, living off the generosity of strangers, unable to work, unable to care for himself in any way, far from honored, looked down upon, even despised to a certain extent. If his father had indeed been a man of prestige, that made Bartimaeus' position all the more pitiful. He was completely at the mercy of of others. Mark tells us that as he sat by the roadside one day, he heard a commotion of a, a crowd passing by. And furthermore, he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was the cause of that commotion. It was Jesus of Nazareth whom the people were crowding around. Had Bartimaeus heard of Jesus already? Had he heard about Jesus casting out demons? Had he heard about Jesus healing the sick? Had he heard about Jesus giving sight to a blind man like him in Bethsaida when Jesus had mixed spittle with mud and rubbed it on the man's eyes? Did Bartimaeus believe that Jesus could and would do the same for him? Or was it the Holy Spirit that spoke into his heart when he heard the name of Jesus? Is it possible that having, not having heard all of the other stories that had gone before, Bartimaeus simply knew by the revelation of God that this Jesus of Nazareth was the one sent from heaven to deliver God's people? Whatever it was, his faith was quite strong. He, he called out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David was a messianic title referring to the one like David who would come to deliver God's people. The son of David would be the Messiah who would defeat the enemies of God and reign victorious as king of the holy nation. 
the Son of David, was the Son of glory, the true Son of honor. This story is the first time in the entire Gospel of Mark that that title, Son of David, is given to Jesus. And it is given to him being shouted out by a blind man who can't even see who it is that he's calling out to. A man, ironically, named Son of Honor, calling upon the Son of Glory. The Bible tells us that many people sternly ordered the man to be quiet. What right had he, a man of shame, blindness in those days was considered a curse from God. Remember the blind man in in John 9 when about whom the disciples debated whether he or his parents had sinned to cause his blindness. A blind beggar was a man cursed by God, who who obviously deserved nothing but the horrible conditions in which he was cast. What right had he, a man of shame, to call upon an honorable man like Jesus? But he called out even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And remarkably, Jesus did. Call him here, Jesus told the crowd. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. A couple of things I find interesting about this part of the story. Jesus, knowing that the man is blind and can't see where he is, knowing that it might be difficult to navigate around obstacles in the road or the crowd in the way, considering that this man is blind and therefore can't see any of these things, can't even see Jesus, still Jesus does not say, lead him to me or bring me to him. Instead, Jesus says, call him here. And that's exactly what the crowd does. They tell him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And that is exactly what the man did. He threw off his cloak, he sprang to his feet, and he came to Jesus. Somehow, this blind man, with apparently no help from anyone else around, found his way to Jesus. I think in a lot of ways, blind Bartimaeus is the counterpart to the paralyzed man in Mark 2, 1 through 12. That passage tells the story of a man who was paralyzed and his friends, because of their faith, brought him to Jesus. Not able to get into the house because of the crowds, they they climbed up onto the roof, they ripped a hole in the roof, and they lowered their friend right down in front of Jesus. Mark 2 says nothing about the paralyzed man's faith. It was his friend's faith that saved him. In Mark 10, it is Bartimaeus alone who shows absolute faith, blind faith, if you will, by calling out to Jesus. In Mark 2, the friends fight their way through the crowd to get the paralyzed man to Jesus. In Mark 10, those in the crowd around Bartimaeus tell him to be quiet. They they don't think that Jesus would have anything to do with him, and they don't want him disturbing Jesus. In Mark 2, the friends bring the man to Jesus, literally lowering him on a mat right in front of Jesus. In Mark 10, they tell the man to find his own way, even though he's blind. This story is contrary to that one in just about every way. 
as well as in Jesus' response. Remember, when the friends in Mark 2 brought the paralyzed man to Jesus, there was no conversation prior to Jesus acting. Jesus didn't ask the man anything. He didn't ask the friends anything. Jesus simply saw the man lowered into his presence, and responding to their faith, he said to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I'd imagine that when he said that, some of the friends must have been thinking to themselves, well, that's nice and all, but could you do something about his legs? That's why we brought him here. Jesus hadn't asked why they brought him there. Neither did he ask the paralyzed man what he was hoping to gain from the adventure. Jesus simply responded according to what he knew needed to be done. And of course, the man's legs were healed, proving that Jesus had the power to do whatever he said, including forgive the man's sins. Mark 10 is completely different. Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus, even though he has no friends and those around him are trying to keep him away from Jesus. Jesus calls Bartimaeus to him rather than Bartimaeus just appearing in front of him. Bartimaeus finds his own way to Jesus, even though he's blind. And then, rather than responding according to what Jesus already knows needs to be done, he asks the man, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? If that question sounds familiar, it should. We heard Jesus ask that very same question just last week. James and John, two of Jesus' favorite disciples, had come to Jesus with a request. We want you to do whatever we ask of you. In response, Jesus asked them, what is it you want me to do for you? Now, in the very next passage, Jesus asks the very same question, this time of Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? In both cases, of course, Jesus already knew the answer. He knew what James and John would ask even before they asked. He knew what Bartimaeus wanted without him having to say it. With James and John, Jesus had asked that question because they needed to hear themselves make their audacious request out loud, one to sit next to his right hand, one to sit next to his left hand in glory. Jesus needed to deal openly with them and with all of the disciples to teach them why this was the wrong thing to ask for, why their desires were misguided. He needed to teach them that in order to be first in the kingdom, one must be willing to put themselves last of all. Servant to all. In today's story, we find Bartimaeus, a man that everyone else put last. A man who nobody around, certainly not the Jericho crowds and probably not even the disciples, would have thought of as a man of any value at all, despite his name. I have to wonder if James and John were among those telling Bartimaeus to be quiet. They certainly didn't object. What they objected to was a man like Bartimaeus thinking that he had any right to bother Jesus, that Jesus would have any reason to be bothered with him. The reason then that Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you, is because Jesus needed everyone else around to hear and to know that this man matters. That every person matters. That Jesus cared about this man, and so should they. 
Jesus needed to see them, them to see what he meant when, when he said, you must be servant of all. It means stopping and taking time for a blind beggar, inviting him into your presence, inviting him into conversation, listening to his concerns, responding to his needs, treating him with humanity and respect. Has anyone tried to keep you away? To shut you down or to shut you up? To keep you in the place where they think you belong rather than where God says you belong? Don't listen to them. Take heart. Get up. Jesus, the Master, is calling you. By asking Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus was implying something that he did not imply when he asked James and John that same question. He implied that Bartimaeus would actually have his request met. That that Jesus would give him exactly what he asked for. By responding to Bartimaeus in this way, in front of all the crowd, in front of the disciples, Jesus showed everyone that Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, truly was a son of honor, a man of tremendous worth. And you are too. You are a son of honor. You are a precious daughter, a treasured child of God. Jesus asks you, just as he asked Bartimaeus, what do you want? What do you need? Because he loves you. Because he cares. Bartimaeus makes his request, Teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. And so it had. The man immediately regained his sight. Without Jesus rubbing spittle in the mud and placing it on his eyes, as he had with the man at Bethsaida, Without even touching his eyes at all, Jesus simply speaks the command, and the man is made well. His sight is made clear. And then another interesting thing happened. The last few words of this passage, and he followed him on the way. Contrast that again with some of our previous stories. To the paralyzed man in Mark 2, Jesus said, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And that's exactly what the man did. He stood up, he picked up his mat, he left. To the man in Mark 10, Jesus says, go, but the man doesn't go. Instead, he comes and follows Jesus on the way. Earlier in that same chapter, the same chapter as as Bartimaeus, Jesus had invited and encouraged a, a rich young man, come, follow me. That man went away grieving because he had many possessions. He was not able to answer Christ's call because there was too much that he allowed to get in his way. Bartimaeus wouldn't let anything get in his way. He found his way to Jesus even though he was blind. There were no obstacles that were going to stop him. The rich man was weighed down by his possessions. Bartimaeus threw off his cloak when he came to Jesus. 
Being a blind beggar, that cloak was probably the only possession that he owned. But at the call of Jesus, he threw it off without a care so that he could come to Jesus with nothing weighing him down or holding him back. Without even being asked or told, Bartimaeus did exactly what the rich young man was unwilling to do. Jesus told the rich young man, come, follow me, but instead he went away grieving. Jesus told Bartimaeus, go, but instead he came and followed Jesus on the way. That phrase, followed him on the way, has a particular meaning. For two and a half chapters now, Mark has been making the point that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. In Mark 8, just after Peter made his great confession of Jesus as the Messiah, it says, then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He began then teaching them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. From that moment until this point, at the end of Mark 10, Jesus has been steadily moving toward Jerusalem. And this is the last story in Mark before he gets there. The very next verse begins the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, an entry that would ultimately lead to the cross. So when Mark tells us at the end of this story that Bartimaeus followed him on the way, Bartimaeus wasn't just following Jesus around the countryside from one nondescript location to another. What Mark is saying is that Bartimaeus followed Jesus on the way to the cross. For that is what true discipleship is about. Not just listening to the stories of Jesus, not just learning from the teachings of Jesus, but following Jesus on the way to the cross. It means answering that call of Christ, pick up your cross and follow me. When Bartimaeus called out to Jesus, and Jesus told the crowd, call him here. They said to Bartimaeus, take heart, get up, he is calling you. I don't think they even really knew what they were saying. But he did. He did. The crowds, they were just astonished and impressed that a man like Jesus would condescend to invite a man like Bartimaeus into his presence. But Bartimaeus, he knew that the call went much, much deeper than that. Blind as he was, Bartimaeus could see what the others around him were blind to, that the call of Christ leads to the abandonment of self. That's why he threw off his cloak, the only thing in the world that he owned. That's why he sprang to his feet, even though he couldn't see what was in front of him or beneath him. That is why he came to Jesus. And why, when Jesus told him go, he could not go his own way. He could only go the way of Christ. Because Christ was his all. When we hear Jesus calling to us, 
when we recognize the voice of the one who is our righteousness, the one who brings us honor, when we realize that his voice is the only voice that matters, when we understand that what he wants for us is nothing less than to share in his glory, then we too are encouraged to get up and to follow him on the way. Then we cast all other things aside. We, we don't allow any possessions or, or any comforts, any persuasions, any earthly desires, or any other voice to keep us from following him on the way. Take heart. Be encouraged. He is calling you. He is inviting you into his presence. He is offering you his grace, his mercy, his peace, salvation. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to serve you, full of pity, love, and power. Arise and go to Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand as you're able for our closing hymn, which is 348 in the hymnals. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling.
Please be seated. And as we go from here, let us be mindful that we don't go our own way. We go Christ's way. Let us follow Him, even all the way to the cross. In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.